0: You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Clint Wright. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday's service now. It's been a while since I've been here. You know, at five campuses, for a while I was trying to rotate around to each campus every week And then in one month, I couldn't even really get around to all five of our campuses, so that wasn't working too well. So most of the Sundays, my wife and I are at the Hope Campus, uh, which is in North Tyler. Um, But we still try to make it around, but I'm sorry, it's been so long. But um, I should say, so October 30th, happy uh, Reformation Sunday, right? This is Reformation Sunday, um, tomorrow, the 31st, Reformation Day, when Martin Luther nailed the 95 theses to the door of the Wittenberg Castle um, there in Wittenberg, Germany. And um, yeah, if you haven't in a while, I would say this afternoon sometime, Google up, you know, internet search out how Halloween, um, Reformation Day, um, All Hallows' Eve, All Saints' Day, how they're all connected and, and what we celebrate this time of year. You know, so it's a lot more than trick or treating. There's a lot going on. So happy Reformation Sunday, everybody. Uh, but October, it's been a big month for the Bice family. So, my wife, Stephanie, uh, we have three kids, uh, all grown. Um, and in this month, my wife and I, we celebrated our 30th anniversary. We have 30 years of marriage, so that was pretty great. Um, the other thing that happened this month is our youngest daughter, Maddie, got engaged. And so, and can I just say, engagement is a whole different deal nowadays. You know, 30 years, ago, or 31 years ago, uh, Stephanie and I were together, just the two of us, and I said some nice words, I'm sure. And she, uh, I, you know, will you marry me? She said yes. We went to dinner, and it was just the two of us. We had a great evening, and we thought, well, we should probably call our parents and let some people know. But now, can I just say, it's a whole deal. Proposal, engagement. Um, So we got there a few weeks ago and helped set up the deal. The proposal happens. There's people like hiding in the bushes, taking pictures. And the the proposal, it's like a whole little spread with, you know, chocolate-covered strawberries and all these things. Um, And then after the proposal... There's a whole engagement party. Like, people are coming in, friends from everywhere. It's a huge celebration. Very different. And I was kind of, you know, grumbling. Like, it was so great in the old days. It was simple and pure. And my wife is like, you know, there's something beautiful about celebrating things. And Jesus celebrated weddings. And and marriage is this beautiful covenant that is celebrated. So she helped me not be uh, such a curmudgeon on things. Um, but we are today into chapter 7 of Joshua. So I love the way Bethel does it. So go ahead and flip open in your Bibles or open up chapter 7. We're going to be there. I love that Bethel goes chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We cover Scripture. And we don't skip over the parts that are challenging. So chapter 7, are you guys ready for it? It's on one level. It's about sin and judgment. It's about God's wrath, his burning anger. (laughs) Aren't you glad you're here? Welcome. I'm so glad to see you this morning. It's going to be a great day. But really, on another level, chapter 7 is a great word for the gospel, the good news of the gospel. So we're going to talk about that. um, But let me pray first. So will you join me? Father, thank you that your word is true and good and helpful, instructive, and thank you that your spirit dwells within us and opens our hearts and minds. So Lord, now I just pray that your word would do the work in our heart. I pray that my words would fall away, and the only thing that lands would be your truth. Um, thank you for making that possible by your spirit. We love you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, before we actually get into chapter 7, I want to talk a little bit big picture. Um, So I I always have to start out seeing the broad scope of things. And just a few weeks ago in Joshua chapter 4, we got the big picture from Joshua. He understood. So I'm going to read Joshua chapter 4. So stay in chapter 7. But Joshua chapter 4, verses 23 and 24 Um, This is after they came through the Jordan, the Lord your God, Joshua is saying this, dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed, just as the Lord your God had done to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed. And here it is, that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, so that you may fear the Lord your God. So do you hear that purpose right there? So that all the earth, all the peoples of the earth. So what is Joshua doing? He is declaring the whole point of crossing the Jordan the way they did and entering into the promised land is so that all the people of the earth would know. You see, God's plan and his purpose from the very beginning was that he would be known and worshiped in the whole earth. The whole earth, every people. So I wanna give you just a few references to help you understand how much God's purpose is on his heart from the very beginning to the very end of the Bible. So in the garden, before sin entered the world, Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, God told Adam and Eve this, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. God had a heart that the earth would be full of people who knew him and worshiped him, and then things didn't go well, Noah. But when Noah came off the ark, you know what God told him? The exact same thing. Fill the earth. Fill the earth with people who know me and worship me. And then we go a few couple of chapters later in Genesis to Genesis chapter 12. And this is where God calls Abraham, Abram at that time. And when God calls Abram, he tells him this in Genesis 12, Uh, Verse three, I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So God calls Abram, he says, look, in you, through you, through your line, all the families of the earth. So God's heart, I mean, we're just at Genesis 12 and it's for all the earth to be full of worshipers. Well, a familiar story, if you grew up in the church, and even if you didn't, you've no doubt heard of David and Goliath, right? The story of David and Goliath, we know what happens. Goliath, the giant, he's taunting the Israelites and David shows up. And what we usually teach the story is it's about facing your giants, about having faith. But you know what David says right before he goes and attacks Goliath? In, in 1 Samuel 17, 46, he says this, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands so that all the earth may know there is a God in Israel. So the whole point really of David and Goliath is so that the whole earth would know that there's a God in Israel. It's the same for Daniel in the lion's den a few chapters later. So we've, we've heard of that story perhaps. King Darius and Persia is... Um, has conquered the whole known world. Darius is the the ruler of all the known peoples of the world. And there's some jealous rulers and they trick the king into signing this whole edict. And Daniel gets thrown into the lion's den and he's there all night unharmed. Early the next morning, King Darius runs to the den and he looks in and Daniel's fine. So he pulls him out. He throws all the tricksters in there. The lions munch him. And then Darius says this, just get what Darius says, this whole story of Daniel in the lion's den. In Daniel chapter six, then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. So the last time you heard Daniel in the lion's den, did you read this verse? The whole point of it was that God would be known and worshiped in the whole world, every nation, every people. And can I just tell you that over 1,600 times in scripture, God's big purpose, 1,600 times is referred to all the nations all the peoples, the Gentiles, the whole world, the whole earth, everything in God's plan, the big purpose for it all is that he would be known and he would be worshipped in the whole world. That's it. That's the purpose. And here's a fast tip. The more our purpose aligns with God's purpose, the more love and joy and peace that we will experience. And the further away our purpose, my purpose, your purpose, the further away it is from God's purpose, the more danger we'll find ourselves working against God. So, brothers and sisters, as we bring our hearts into alignment with God's purpose, we want him to be known and worshiped in the whole world, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every people. And Did you know it's actually going to happen, right? So at the end, we started in Genesis. In Revelation, we read that before the throne, before the lamb, there are going to be people from every tribe, tongue, language, people there, worshiping the Lord. And so it's going to happen. So it's just our invitation right now. Do we want to join in? Do we want to get in God's purpose and align with him to see him known and worshiped? So that's an encouragement. But that brings us really to Joshua. It's the whole point of the people of Israel, God's chosen people, the whole point of them crossing into the promised land and conquering all the nations there, the whole point is that the whole world would know and worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So chapter 7, Look, we're going to look at the first verse, chapter 1, 7 verse 1 and verse 26. There's something really interesting that happens there. It says, um, oh, let me get to the right spot in here, that the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel in verse 1. The anger of the Lord burned against them. And then all the way in verse 26, we read that the Lord turned from his burning anger. So, great, right? Burning anger. But in the beginning, it's against Israel. And the end of the chapter, it turns away. So we're going to talk about what happens in the middle. What happens? Let's read. The people of Israel, verse one of Israel, broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things And the anger of the Lord burned against his people. The covenant people were under the burning wrath of God. What? Terrible. We get, as the readers of Scripture, the insight right here at the beginning of the chapter. So we can kind of brace ourselves for what's happening. It's really interesting to note in verse 1, though, the solidarity that God sees the people, right? Right? Achan, one man, is the one who took the devoted things, but what does God say? It was Israel who broke faith. Israel was the one um, that his anger burned against. Even though it was Achan's sin, it was the nation of Israel. There's this solidarity because God takes his covenant very seriously. They were his covenant people. Covenant... It's one of those kind of church spiritual world words that sometimes we need to define to make sure we understand what we're talking about here. But covenant, simply defined, is just a binding agreement. A covenant is a binding agreement. It's a legal contract. And God had a covenant with his people Israel. They put all of that in jeopardy through Achan's sin. Covenant is a big deal. So last week, you remember, we talked about Jericho, the walls of Jericho came tumbling down, and what Israel saw, what they experienced was God's strength. This week, in AI, what we're going to see and what Israel learns is really her own weakness. So Israel could only conquer the land and her enemies as they operated and remained faithful to God's covenant. So let's look and see what happens. Verse two to five. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, do not have all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. So about 3,000 men went up there from the people and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Sherebim and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. So remember, Joshua didn't get verse one. He's living this in real time. He follows the right procedure. He sends the army up there. And what happens Defeat. This is this is like record scratch. What's going on? They were God's chosen people. God just defeated Jericho and in an untraditional way, right? They marched around, they did all of God's plan, and they had victory. And now, the next week, defeat. Man, it was a shock. It's like a two by four to the face. What? God what do we do? How can we adjust? How can we handle this defeat? What does Joshua do in verse six to nine? Then Joshua, he tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. He and the elders of Israel, they put dust on their head. And Joshua said, alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all? to give us into the hands of the Amorites, to destroy us? What would have been, oh, what, that we would have been content to dwell beyond the Jordan? O oh, Lord, can I say, when Israel has turned, what, O oh, Lord, can I say, when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? So Joshua, the elders, they're they're perplexed, they're humbled. Joshua's not feeling anything like strong and courageous. He's on his face before the Lord, seeking him. And verse 9 is interesting. Joshua, he appeals to God's great name. That's the basis of his appeal. So G- Joshua knows God's great purpose, right? We talked about God's global purpose to be known and worshiped in all the world. So now that they, his chosen people, were defeated, how was that going to happen? What was going to be said? Joshua was concerned that all the inhabitants of Canaan, that they would join forces, they would band together, and they would come and wipe out the Israelites. But what's more... He was concerned about God's name, God's reputation. He was wanting to make sure that it wasn't tarnished. So what does God say to Joshua in this state of humility? He says, get up. In verse 11, Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. And then 12, first part, therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They have turned their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. Whoa. How is it possible? God's people, they devoted everything in Jericho for destruction, and now they were devoted to destruction. And notice again this language of solidarity. The whole people, the nation of Israel because of Achan's sin. So now Joshua understands. He sees. It's like God has revealed to him what happened. He understands the reason for the defeat, for the death of the 36 warriors that he sent up. Because Joshua knew and remembered the very clear instructions that God had given them last week in chapter 6. So In the middle of chapter 6, right before the walls come tumbling down, Joshua gives the soldiers, the people, the very clear instructions. So I'm going to read chapter 6, verses 17 to 19. Here's what it says. Um, And the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab, the prostitute, and all who are with her in her house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you... Keep yourselves from the devoted things to destruction, lest, when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all the silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So crystal clear, right? God says, when you go in, don't take any of the devoted things everything in Jericho is destroyed except for Rahab and her household, and then bring all the metals, right? The gold, the silver, the iron, the bronze, bring it all, and put it in the treasury of the the Lord. So as we talked about last week, God had been incredibly patient with Jericho. he had given them every opportunity to repent, to turn from their wicked sin, and As Clint said last week, it it, it was wickedness. It was vile. The practices inside Jericho were despicable, detestable to the Lord. And he had given them all this time. He had given them an extra seven days. They could have repented, but only Rahab did. So God said everything there was devoted to destruction. Achan, he heard the instruction. He heard the directions. There was no doubt but he willingly disobeyed. He sinned and broke the covenant. So it brings us to 12, the second half of verse 12, 12b. And this verse is, this part is the hinge of the whole chapter of seven. God is still speaking to Joshua and he says in 12b, I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Nothing could be worse news. God saying to his people, I will be with you no more. God's presence was everything. God's presence, his power on behalf of his people, they were counting on it. When they heard that from the Lord, it must have sent shivers up their spine. How could it be God's chosen people Without the presence of God, and I mean, God's presence is everything for us. It was everything. Think of just a few um, chapters back, or the last book of Joshua, uh, Joseph, right? In his brother Solomon to slavery, and he goes to Egypt, and it says repeatedly, God was with Joseph, and gave him success. And you could look at at all of the pre- the heroes that are in the Bible. Each one, and it always identifies God's presence with them as the reason for their success. So brothers and sisters, again, God's presence in our life, it's everything, right? And God is present. So when there's distance, it's not because of him, right? We have to do everything that we know how to do to remain in pre- in the presence of the Lord. That makes all the difference. But 12b is also just a critical point of mercy, right? So mercy triumphs over judgment. And what does God say, if these things that were taken, if they are destroyed, then his presence would remain, that the covenant would be restored. So They knew now what must happen. So God says in verse 13 to 15, chapter seven, get up, consecrate the people and say, uh, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, there are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribe. And the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clans, and the clans the Lord takes shall come near by households, and the household that the Lord takes shall come near by man by man. And he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. So this consecration, we've seen it several times before. We've talked about why consecrate. And at this point, God tells Joshua to tell the people, consecrate yourselves. They ritually, again, clean themselves and prepare their hearts. Possibly this is another 24-hour time of God showing mercy and giving Achan time to repent, to confess, to come clean. And or anybody else in his household, right? His whole house must have known that there was a big hole in the middle of their tent. And there was a bunch of stuff buried in there. But it doesn't happen. So the next day, verse 16 through 25, um, it says the same process. Joshua got up early in the morning. They came through by tribes. They came by clans. They came by families. And it came all the way down to Achan. He was identified and specified. So Joshua says, Achan, tell me what you've done. And verse 21 is interesting. Achan's response. He says, when I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and I took them. And see, They are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. You know, Achan's mentality, his process, what happened to him, it's it's too familiar, right? He saw it, he wanted it, and he took it. It's the same thing Eve and Adam did in Genesis, right? Eve saw that the fruit was good for food. She wanted it. And she took it, my brothers and sisters, this is the same thing that we do. We see things, we want them, and we take them. it's easy to sit here and to kind of shake our heads at Aiken, to wag our fingers and say, "Oh, Aiken, Aiken, Aiken." but we are like Aiken. We are the ones who on a daily basis, sin. You know, I can really identify with Achan. In my life, I steal from God. Most oftentimes what I steal is control, right? I want to do things my way. I don't want to trust God in control of my life. I want to be the one who gets to say what I want. I get to move the pieces to try and take what I want. That control is stolen from God. You know, I also steal time from God. I'd say, this is my time. I want to do what I want to do. You know, sometimes I steal things in a strange way in that I see what my neighbors have. I see what this world has to offer. I think it looks good. I like that shiny robe, that gold and that silver. And so then I take control and I start working my way to get what I want. All that, my brothers and sisters, is a sin that breaks this new covenant that we have. So I confess, probably the biggest sin in my life is the sin of pride. It's this sin that says, I know what's best. It's the sin of self-righteousness, judgmental, that says, I am, I'm the classic elder brother and the prodigal son, the one who does all the right things and thinks that God owes me. All of that is despicable to the Lord. You know, we too often, like Achan, try to take our sin and hide it in our tent. We try to minimize it, make it no big deal. But God hates sin. God's wrath, his anger is poured out against sin. We can't hide it. And in my sin of pride, it really hurts me. It, God hates it because it's an affront to him, but it also, he hates it because it hurts me right? When I'm self-righteous, when I think I take control, I'm hurting myself. And I'm hurting those who know me the best, my family, my community. So the moment I sin, I am breaking God's control. I'm doing what I want to do. And then I'm hurting myself. I'm, I'm really putting myself back in slavery to sin, back in bondage. But This is where the good news kicks in. Our sin, it brings us face to face with the Lord. In those moments, we can only cry out for mercy, right? Woe is me. I am unclean. Oh, Father, have mercy on me, a poor sinner. And mercifully, Jesus shows up, right? This is the good news of the gospel, All the wrath, all the anger that we deserve, God poured out on Jesus on the cross. And he bore all of that wrath, all of that anger. He took it all on him. So that as we are in Christ, we are in the new covenant. We are set free from sin. Mercy, once again, triumphs over judgment. Thankfully, but that sin process, that slippery slope that Achan was on, that I'm on, that you are on, that we deal with, James describes it like this in James chapter one, verse fourteen and fifty. Each person we are tempted uh, is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. After desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin. When his full-grown gives birth to death, this is what happened to Achan. It led to his death, his family's death, the 36 soldiers. All of this because his desire got out of whack. And our desire gets out of whack. We want good things, but for wrong reasons. I have to ask myself, why did Achan take the silver and the gold and the robe? When he knew expressly that he was not to, he coveted it. He probably thought, man, maybe I can help my family out here, right? I can stockpile, and so I'm going to have gold and silver when ahead of everybody else. I can, I can be the hero and provide for my family. I don't know his motives exactly, but I know my motives, and I do the same thing, and I try to justify it and make it seem good, He coveted. He saw, he wanted. and he took. We are free not to do that because of Jesus. But when we do, there's opportunity to repent, confess, and to be set free. So there's a huge contrast here between Rahab and Achan, right? Rahab, she was not an Israelite. She was a resident of Jericho. But she believed God. She had faith, and she was saved and included in the covenant promises. She got to experience the promised land. Achan, he was an Israelite. He was from the prestigious tribe of Judah, but he did not believe God. He did not have faith, and he was destroyed and excluded from the promises. So once we, once again, we see that God is most interested in our hearts, He wants our hearts. So as we trust in him and believe in him, we are added into the new covenant and we can receive all of the promises that are made. So a few quick points of learning about sin and then we'll move off this, right? So happy sermon on sin and judgment. Um, Sin leads to death. The wages of sin is death. This is what we hear in Romans 6.23 or what we just read in James. It brings death. Two, sin has a ripple effect. It never only impacts me. Sin impacts those around us. Achan, his whole family, all the men were a part of that ripple effect of sin. When we sin, those moments were not powered by the Spirit of God, and there are consequences. And number three, there's no hiding our sin. God knows. In Numbers 3, uh, 32, 23, God says that our sin will find us out. But we have time right now to repent, to confess. Well, so we end this chapter in verse 26. The Lord turned from his burning anger. They dealt with Achan and his sin, and God's presence was back with them. And this is the good news of the gospel, that we, all of us, can be in a new covenant with God through Jesus. And as His, in his covenant and his family, we are dearly loved sons and daughters. God is not angry with us, right? All of that anger and wrath was poured on Jesus. We get the privilege of being in his family, beloved sons and daughters. And this is good news. It's great news. This is the gospel, and this is what we get to share with other people. This is how we fit into God's global purpose, to be known and worshiped in the whole world. We get the privilege of taking this good news to the whole world. So as I close, I just want to remind you of a few of those ways that we do at Bethel. We have Four primary strategies at Bethel that help us share the good news of the gospel. They help align our energy, our focus, our attention. So, these four Bethel strategies direct us as to all of the mission partners and all of the people that we we partner with. So, the first strategy is this unreached people groups. So, unreached people groups simply means that there are places in the world where there are no Christians. And that's really the missionary question, right? It's not where are there lost people. That's not the question, right? Because there's lost people everywhere. There's lost people in your neighborhood, White House, East Texas. There's lost people everywhere. That's not the mission's question. The mission's question is where are there people with no Christians in them, where there's no church, there's no Bible in their language. They don't have access to the gospel. That is what an unreached people group is. And that is where Bethel has said we wanna focus our energy, our effort, our resources, we wanna partner with missionaries and ministries who work in unreached people groups, right? The second strategy is church planting. Church, the God designed and created the church as the beautiful bride of Christ. It's what he designed to take the gospel to the whole world. And so Bethel, we wanna be a part and aligned with people who are planting the church in unreached people groups, all over the world. Anywhere there's churches being planted, that is a strategy that we can get behind. So the third strategy is what we call nations within. So that just means that God is bringing the nations right here to East Texas, at UT Tyler, TJC. There are international students that have moved here. And the sad thing is that the majority of international students they never see the inside of an American's home. They could come here, spend four or six years, and never be welcomed into someone's home. So that's one of our strategies at Bethel. How can we be a church that welcomes the nations that are here? Not just international students, but there are immigrants, refugees, there are people probably living in your neighborhood that are not from the U.S. How can we welcome them? How can we engage with them and love them as our neighbors. So that's our third strategy. Unreached people groups, church planning, nations within, and the last one we just call local outreach. There are some things that God tells the church we need to care about these things. Orphans, widows, people that are coming from difficult, marginalized places. The church here locally, we want to engage in those types of outreaches locally. So those are the four strategies that help align our focus, our effort as Bethel Bible Church. Unreached people groups, church planning, nations within, local outreach. And then the very last thing I want to leave you with are five practical ways that you can engage. Like all of us, you and me, in our daily activity, we call these World Christian Habits. They're just practices. They're disciplines. They're things that you can do on a daily basis to engage. So the first one is just to pray. Everybody can do that. You do it already. But you can pray that God would be known and worshiped in the whole world. You can pray for the nations. You can pray for our missionary partners that are around the world in unreached places planting churches. And your prayer brothers and sisters, is powerful and effective. So we can pray every day. The second strategy is sending. So you can do this as a family, as an individual. You can help fund, resource, care for those who are going to the nations. Because all of us, we live and work in East Texas. We're not all necessarily going to move to the other side of the world, but we can send some people. We can help support them. We can encourage them. We can pray for them. We can love their kids. Send them Christmas cards. That's sending. The third thing is going, right? So as each one of us, we have the opportunity to go on short-term trips. So Bethel White House, this past summer, we had a whole team that went to a church plant in Seattle. This next summer, we'll probably have trips that go there. We'll go back to Spain, Bethel, as a church, all campuses, we take about 10 different mission trips a year, going all over the world, going to our mission partners to encourage them, support them, and be a blessing to them. And you can go on any Bethel mission trip. So get a passport and go short term, midterm. Maybe some of you, God is saying, I want you to be one of those that moves to the other part of the world and live and go and work. So going. Number four, Welcoming. It's that nations within peace. All of you have a kitchen table, I assume. You can invite people to come sit at your kitchen table or your backyard barbecue, right? Invite people over. Welcome people into your home, into your life. Welcome the nations that are here. And the final strategy uh, uh, practice is just called mobilizing. So maybe you heard some things this morning There are people in the world where there's not a Bible in their language. Maybe you didn't know that, but that's true. If you tell one other person that this week, then you are helping mobilize. You can share the things that you know with the people that are around you, and that mobilizes them. You can invite them with you to go to to the nations here, to the nations abroad. So all of that, I say, because that helps align our purpose With God's purpose, right? His purpose from the beginning through all of scripture is to be known and worshiped by the whole earth. So I invite you, church, let's engage. There's strategies, there's practices. God's clear in his word that that's what he's about, and we want to be about that too. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. If you have questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.